Good morning. Do you ever wish you could feel closer to the Lord? Maybe you're just coming out of a tough time where you felt like God didn't have your best interests at heart. Or maybe things are going generally well for you, but they've begun to feel routine and rather unexciting. When people first become Christians, it's not hard for them to feel the joy of having their sins forgiven and finally being reunited to their creator. But for those who have been treading this path for years on end, the honeymoon feelings tend to wear off and we can struggle to wonder why. Isn't God supposed to have pleasures unending and fullness of joy? Didn't he promise never to leave us or forsake us? Yet why does my life feel so plain? Why does my time in prayer feel so lonely? And why does the Bible seem so humdrum and repetitive? These are the questions of those who are still awaiting the new creation God intends to bring. Those who have pledged their allegiance to the king of heaven and earth, yet who are still wrestling with indwelling sin. And to become a new creation, we must understand the death grip that sin still holds on us. It affects not only our behavior, but also our perspective on the world and our capacity for joy in the Lord. This is what the prophet Isaiah deals with in this morning's text as we continue our study of this book. In the first verse of chapter 58, God instructs Isaiah to trumpet the transgression of his people. Sound it out far and wide. Make sure they understand the nature of their sin and its consequences. Now, I will make one qualification here before I dive into the text, that sin, and your sin in particular, is not the only thing that can make you feel far from God. Other parts of the Bible talk about other things, such as deep suffering can cause similar feelings to feel like God is far away. But in this passage in Isaiah, his focus will be on the role that sin plays in keeping us from the Lord. And God says, make sure they understand this fact. Make sure they don't ever believe that it's God's fault that they don't feel closer to him. And so this morning, we will follow Isaiah's lead in taking a long and hard look at our sin, which keeps us from the Lord. Now, we're in a section of Isaiah that began in chapter 56, verse 9, where Isaiah is showing the people why they need to become a new creation. There are some fundamental and deeply rooted flaws in their hearts and in their beliefs that must change in order for them to become useful servants of the Lord. And so Isaiah will show us, as you can see on your outline, what really keeps us from the Lord is our good deeds and our evil deeds and our failure to confess. Let me pray, and then I'll start reading the passage. Father in heaven, thank you for this time. I pray that you would 
Open our eyes that we would not grope about in the darkness like those who are blind, but the light of your mercy and truth would shine upon us that we might see clearly and we might see what keeps us from you so we can clear out those paths and make our way to you with the help of your Holy Spirit. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Isaiah 58, I'll read, I'll read chapter 58. The, the first thing that keeps us from the Lord is our good deeds. Cry aloud, do not hold back, lift, lift up your voice like a trumpet, declare to my people their transgression, to the house of Jacob their sins. Yet they seek me daily and delight to know my ways, as if They were a nation that did righteousness and did not forsake the judgment of their God. They ask of me righteous judgments. They delight to draw near to God. Why have we fasted and you see it not? Why have we humbled ourselves and you take no knowledge of it? Behold, in the day of your fast, you seek your own pleasure and oppress all your workers. Behold, you, own, you fast only to quarrel and to fight and to hit with a wicked fist. Fasting like yours this day will not make your voice to be heard on high. Is such the fast that I choose a day for a person to humble himself? Is it to bow down his head like a reed and to spread sackcloth and ashes under him? Will you call this a fast and a day acceptable to the Lord? Is not this the fast that I choose to loose the bonds of wickedness, to undo the straps of the yoke, to let the oppressed go free and to break every yoke? Is it not to share your bread with the hungry and bring the homeless poor into your house? When you see the naked to cover him and not to hide yourself from your own flesh, then Shall your light break forth like the dawn and your healing shall spring up speedily. Your righteousness shall go before you. The glory of the Lord shall be your rear guard. Then you shall call and the Lord will answer. You shall cry and he will say, here I am. If you take away the yoke from your midst, the pointing of the finger and speaking wickedness, If you pour out yourself for the hungry and satisfy the desire of the afflicted, then shall your light rise in the darkness and your gloom be as the noonday. And the Lord will guide you continually and satisfy your desire in scorched places and make your bones strong. And you shall be like a watered garden, like a spring of water whose waters do not fail. And your ancient ruins shall be rebuilt. You shall raise up the foundations of many generations. You shall be called the repairer of the breach, the restorer of streets to dwell in. If you turn back your foot from the Sabbath, from doing your pleasure on my holy day, and call the Sabbath a delight, and the holy day of the Lord honorable, If you honor it, not going your own ways or seeking your own pleasure or talking idly, 
Then you shall take delight in the Lord, and I will make you ride on the heights of the earth. I will feed you with the heritage of Jacob, your father, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. Now, the first thing that keeps us from the Lord is our good deeds. In verse 2, Isaiah describes these people as people who seek God daily. They delight to know his ways. They ask him for righteous judgments and they delight to draw near to God. Wouldn't it be terrific if people said that about the people of Grace Fellowship Church? That they seek God daily? They delight to know God's ways. They ask God for righteous judgments and they delight to draw near to God. If you moved to another town and were looking to join a church, you'd be blessed to find such a church. But notice what's tucked right in the middle of verse 3 between these sets of commendations. As if they were a nation that did righteousness. As if they did not forsake the judgment of God. In other words, they go through the religious motions day after day, week after week, but it's all a sham. It's a grand play, and these people have the lead roles. They seek God, but they don't do righteousness. They ask for his judgment only so they can forsake it and go their own way and do what they wanted to do anyway. All of the good things they do for God are not bringing them any closer to God. In verse 3, they ask, Why have we fasted and you see it not? Why have we humbled ourselves and you take no knowledge of it? Isaiah spends the rest of chapter 58 from here drawing out two key principles that I want to explain for you. The first principle is that what you do outside of church is more important than what you do inside of church. And the second principle is that how you treat other people is just as important as how you treat God. Let me explain these. The first principle that he goes after is that what you do outside of church is more important than what you do inside of church. Isaiah addresses two case studies for the people in this chapter, fasting and keeping a day of rest, keeping the Sabbath one day a week. In both cases, with fasting and the Sabbath, he warns against ritualism while also commending the integrity of the ritual's true meaning. For example, with fasting, he says in verse 5, you bow your head like a reed and you humble yourself in sackcloth and ashes. But in verse 4, he said, you quarrel and fight, hitting each other with your fists. He doesn't tell them to stop fasting from food once in a while. He doesn't say to stop doing the ritual. But in verses 6 and 7, he, he wants them to fast from food, yes, so that they can share that food that they're not eating with those who are in need. 
And he wants them to fast or to take a break from wickedness and oppression and clothe the naked and invite the homeless into their homes. Friends, if you come to church and you participate in the rituals, but your life contradicts the purpose of those rituals, you will never find yourself close to God. You will wonder where he is and why he's not listening to you because you have missed the entire point that what you do outside of church is more important than what you do inside of church. And that leads us to Isaiah's second theme in this chapter, which is that how you treat other people is just as important as how you treat God. In verse 5, he says that fasting is not about abasing yourself before God, ultimately. In verse 6, it's about letting the oppressed go free. In verse 10, he says it's about taking your own abundance and using that to fill others up. You cannot claim to love God and fail to love your fellow man. As John would later put it, Whoever says he loves God but hates his brother is a liar. Verse 13, you cannot please God on the Sabbath by doing whatever you want to do, seeking your own pleasure. God has not given us things like fasting or the Sabbath so we can seek our own pleasure. He has not given us things like singing or praying or donating or teaching or preaching or running the sound equipment or setting up snacks or running a children's ministry or attending a growth group or mingling during fellowship time. He's not given us these things so that we can seek our own pleasure or so that we can abase ourselves before God. No, he has given us these things so we can serve and help one another. Let me illustrate. I try to spend time every day reading my Bible. This is a personal religious ritual of mine. I try to read my Bible every day. And sometimes, to fit it in to my, my schedule, I just have to do it in a public space in my house. I can't get away in quiet. There's lots of noise. There's activity going on around me with six children. It gets kind of crazy. And sometimes when that happens, I can get a little irritable. When a child keeps interrupting me or asking me questions, and they don't just leave me alone so I can get close to Jesus. (laughs) And you see, It's not hard for me to turn this ritual into something selfish and contrary to its intended purpose. I can try to draw close to God in a way that pushes my children away and disillusions them from God. This is not right, and God does not bless this attitude. In the same way, God has given us church activities to draw us close to him and to one another. But if we miss the point of them, the very activities 
designed to draw us near to God will actually keep us far from him because we start to trust in the activities and they thereby blind us to our true condition before God, which Isaiah will talk about in the next chapter. This makes it seem to us like God is failing us when the truth is the opposite. How does this apply? You cannot draw near to God simply through behavioral rituals. You cannot go to church every Sunday and sing the songs and chit-chat with a few people and expect God to feel close and personal. If you do this and your life outside church is not lived for the good of your neighbors around you, you will always feel like God doesn't see you. Like he takes no notice of you. You will call out and he will not answer. So it matters that you be a patient and a long-suffering parent. It matters that you be a pleasant roommate. It matters that you be an observant and a thoughtful spouse. It matters that you be a kind and a gentle boss. It matters that you be a selfless member of your work group, that you be a diligent and respectful student, that you be aware of the needy in our community and that you inconvenience yourself to improve their lives. Without such a life lived in honor of the Lord, your good deeds will only prevent you from getting close to God. But of course, that's not all that can keep you from him. Not only your good deeds, but also your evil deeds. Let me read verses 1 through 8 of chapter 59. Behold, the Lord's hand is not shortened that it cannot save, or his ear dull that it cannot hear, but your iniquities have made a separation between you and your God, and your sins have hidden his face from you so that he does not hear. For your hands are defiled with blood and your fingers with iniquity. Your lips have spoken lies. Your tongue mutters wickedness. No one enters suit justly. No one goes to law honestly. They rely on empty pleas. They speak lies. They conceive mischief and give birth to iniquity. They hatch adder's eggs. They weave the spider's web. He who eats their eggs dies, and from one that is crushed, a viper is hatched. Their webs will not serve as clothing. Men will not cover themselves with what they make. Their works are works of iniquity, and deeds of violence are in their hands. Their feet run to evil, and they are swift to shed blood. Their thoughts are thoughts of iniquity. Desolation and destruction are in their highways. The way of peace they do not know, and there is no justice in their paths. They have made their roads crooked. No one who treads on them knows peace. Notice how Isaiah transitions to this new topic. If you feel like God is far from you, in verse 1, it is not because God is either unable or unwilling to draw you close, to listen to you, or to rescue you. That's not the reason. But verse 2 
The reason is it's because of your iniquities. It's a fancy word that just means your sins. All the things you've done wrong. That is what has made a separation between you and your God. Your sins are like a soundproof barrier that prevent him from hearing your prayers. So you, you need to understand, we all need to understand how this works. We must take a deep dive into the dark side of our sin. This poem in chapter 59 moves through three stanzas marked by shifting pronouns. And so that will guide us. In verses 1 to 3, the pronouns are are second person, you. In verses 4 to 8, he shifts to third person, they. And then in 9 to 13, he moves to first person, we. In verses 1 to 3, you, 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 Isaiah exposes the sin of his own audience, you. In verses 4 through 8, second stanza, he generalizes it out to describe all of humanity, they. And then in the third stanza, 9 to 13, he offers a sample prayer of repentance, we, to show us how to take ownership of both the consequences and the nature of our sin. I'll discuss that third stanza in point three of my outline. For now, let me unpack the first two stanzas. First, with his own audience, verse three, he says, these people, you, they have blood on their hands and they have lies on their lips. This doesn't look good. But in the second stanza, he moves on to his critique of all humanity. It's not just about those people at that time. This is all people everywhere. In verse four, He describes how they use laws and procedures to trick people and get their own way. You see, sin is not only personal and individual, it's also social and systemic. In verse 5, this thing with the adder's eggs and the spider's webs, all he's trying to say is that whatever they produce, the works of their hands is spiritually poisonous to other people. You see, in our sin, we hurt not only ourselves, but also the people around us. In verse 6, all that they do is corrupt. Their works are works of iniquity. And in verse 7, everything they think is corrupt. Their thoughts are thoughts of iniquity. And in between those two, he says that they don't just do evil and think evil, but they run to evil. They love it. In verse 8, They are naturally prejudiced against peace and justice. They excel at making crooked what should be straight. So corrupt bureaucrats will always be in high demand. And oppressive legislation and oppressive human systems will always exist and need to be resisted. We need conferences to promote awareness of evils such as human trafficking to help us fight against it. And I'm saying they, 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 because Isaiah says they. He's generalizing to all humanity, but that doesn't mean that we are exempt from the criticism. This is the same humanity of which you and I are a part, which is why in the next part he's going to move to we. Here's how we take ownership of this. And so if you thought chapter 58 was dark about how even the good things we do keep us from the Lord, chapter 59 shows us how much worse it can get. It's like fleeing a tiger in the jungle only to get bitten by a cobra. 
Or it's like successfully preventing a hacker from placing a virus on your computer only to have your hard drive crash and you lose all the data anyway. That's what reading chapter 59 is like. Just think about some of the issues we face today that have been handed down to us through the ages. As a nation, we've come through 19th century slavery and 20th century segregation only to reach epidemic levels of race-biased incarceration and to see race relations more volatile than ever. We can't figure out what to do about immigration because we want to welcome the stranger but not at the cost of lives lost to acts of terrorism. How do we figure this out? The government does what it can to help those in need. But seriously, how often do those programs only increase poverty and unemployment by incentivizing the wrong things, the wrong behaviors? And let's be honest, we've got a president who has done some terrific things for the economy and the pro-life cause, but at the cost of respectability and character and any semblance of virtue. The world is a dark place. And let's be honest, the church is a dark place too. Even this church is a dark place. This is a place where people can struggle to get along with one another. This is a place where children disobey their parents and where parents neglect or exasperate their children. This is a place where loneliness is sometimes stigmatized and some people among us feel that they can't be honest about their pain or their deepest desires lest they be dismissed or ostracized or considered immature. Some people do not feel comfortable being themselves within our community. This is a place where some people feel better than others and some people avoid talking to the people they don't like. This is a place where some people's complaints or criticism far outweighs their praise and encouragement. This is a place where the leaders, especially myself, are not yet what they ought to be before Christ. You see, friends, I have learned how to stand up here and preach the message of the Scripture with the confidence of the Holy Spirit. But as soon as I step down there, all my insecurity comes back to me. And I am deeply aware of how awkward I am in conversation, my failure to do what God requires of me, my difficulty to maintain relationships, and my failure to love you. I'm intentionally lingering on this point of our evil deeds because I think it's fundamental for us to grasp what a deep mess we are in when we are left to ourselves. It's no coincidence that the Apostle Paul quotes verses 7 and 8 of Isaiah 59 in Romans chapter 3 where he strings together a lengthy series of snippets from all over the Psalms and the prophets to highlight what a hot mess all of humanity has become by nature. Paul draws on all the Old Testament has to say about how deep is our doo-doo. And he draws on this chapter, Isaiah 59, probably Isaiah's greatest treatise on the depth and the nature of our sin. 
that which keeps us from the Lord. But all that is to say that this isn't the end of the story. We do not need to stay here in our sin forever. Isaiah gives us hope for a way out. The third thing that keeps you from the Lord is simply your failure to confess. Because at the end of the day, when all is said and done, it's, it's really neither our good deeds nor our bad deeds that will keep us from the Lord. Because both good deeds and bad deeds can be repaired. They can be washed away and made clean. One simple thing will make all these things go away if we would but humble ourselves enough to see it. All we need to do is confess our sins. And he is faithful and just to keep his promise to forgive our sins. We must choose not to argue and not to make excuses and not to blame others, but to take full responsibility for our thoughts and our behaviors. So Isaiah now turns his pronouns to the first person plural and he gives us a sample prayer of confession as he talks about we and us. Verses 9 to 13. Therefore, justice is far from us and righteousness does not overtake us. We hope for light and behold darkness and for brightness, but we walk in gloom. We grope for the wall like the blind. We grope like those who have no eyes. We stumble at noon as in the twilight among those in full vigor. We are like dead men. We all growl like bears. We moan and moan like doves. We hope for justice, but but there is none. For salvation, but it is far from us. For our transgressions are multiplied before you and our sins testify against us. For our transgressions are with us and we know our iniquities. Transgressing and denying the Lord and turning back from following our God. Speaking oppression and revolt, conceiving and uttering from the heart lying words. Isaiah suggests here two things that we ought to confess the consequences of our sin in 9 to 11 and the nature of our sin in 12 and 13. He suggests we ought to confess the consequences of our sin, which include things like, verse 9, justice and righteousness do not come naturally to us. Verse 10, though we prefer the light, we grope in darkness. Verse 11, we growl and moan from the pain we have inflicted on ourselves. We can confess those consequences. And then we confess the nature of our sin in 12 and 13. Verse 12, the nature of our sin is transgression. That means our sin, all sin, is a violation of God's righteous law. We have crossed his instructions. It's obvious and visible to everyone but ourselves. In verse 13, the nature of sin is not only evil actions and evil thoughts, but at its core, it is a denial of the Lord, a turning away from following our God. We confess that, not only what we did, but what we thought, and not only what we thought, but how we denied the Lord and turned from him. How does this apply? 
brothers and sisters, confess your transgression against God's law and learn from its consequences. Don't put this off just because it feels uncomfortable. When you know that your God will forgive because Jesus already died and rose again, you then are free to be honest about yourself both to God and to other people. There is freedom in confessing these things. As we confess, we can be freed from the eternal consequences. And we are no longer doomed to repeat the same old patterns. We follow a God who delights to forgive. He will not remain angry forever. He sent his son to take care of our sin. We have no other hope. And because we trust in Jesus' death and resurrection, true change is possible and forgiveness of sin is possible. These two chapters are a dark part of Isaiah. And so my sermon has had to focus on the bad news to match the tone of the text. But if you would like to see how much better it can get, I encourage you this afternoon to just read the rest of chapter 59, which Ryan will preach on next week. This is where the Lord looks down on all that stuff that Isaiah talked about in 58 and 59, the Lord looks down and he sees how impossible it is for any of us to do anything right or to save ourselves. And so he decides to do something about it himself. And he accomplishes righteousness and salvation himself for us. The salvation of God, however, is not available to those who think they don't need it. So please allow this week's passage to press itself upon you so that you feel your need for Jesus even more deeply. And then it's amazing how close you can feel to God when you confess your sins freely. And he returns to you the joy of your salvation. So what keeps you from the Lord? Your good deeds keep you from the Lord. Your evil deeds keep you from the Lord. But more than either of those, your failure to confess will always keep you from the Lord. The best thing you can do is to agree with God about your condition and about your need for him because then the life of Christ and the spirit of Christ can take over to make you into something new, something truly marvelous that he is assuredly proud of. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we have such great need. Blood is on our hands, lies are on our lips. Rebellion and denial of you is in our hearts. Help us Lord, please forgive us for at times thinking that we can make it right by just doing good things and following a set of, of rituals. Thank you for sending Jesus to make it right. He is the only one who can make it right. And give us freedom in the good news about Jesus to be honest about who we are, to confess 
our sins and to welcome one another as Christ has welcomed us. I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.